This is the RSM Orthopedic Section Podcast. We feature global experts and key opinion leaders discussing innovation, progress, and current practice within their subspecialties. My name is Akib Khan, and I'm an orthopedic registrar on the Section Council, and I'll be your host on this podcast. Welcome. We're now joined by Professor Lyndon Mason, who uh, has delivered a very engaging talk uh, in regards to the foot and ankle, specifically calcaneal fractures and fractures around the ankle. Um, We're very glad that he's joined us here on the podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for the invite. So in terms of the current trends in management of calcaneal fractures, are we developing a more selective approach to fixation given the um, recent publications such as the UK heel trial? So, I think that it's important for uh, any treatment, or any treatment we give, is uh, to be selective of patients and uh, no surgery is benign and if you can treat things conservatively, it uh, is beneficial and most patients will, will rather not have an operation than, than have one. Um, it, on that, it's also important to recognise what things uh, in relation to the fracture and the patient are important and might be ones that we can change surgically. Um, as I described in the in the talk, uh, personally I feel that the heel position, the tuberosity position in varus or valgus, uh, often makes the biggest out, uh, problems with outcomes. And this is not really picked up in a lot of the trials. Um, personally, I have seen that the the infection rates were very high in the past um, with the extended lateral uh, incision. Um, and as I showed in the in the talk, uh, this is reported uh, in many studies to be around about 20 to 25 percent. And we have moved towards the either smaller approaches or sinus tarsi approaches with percutaneous fixation, and these have reduced infection rates enormously down to around about five percent. So this has allowed us to, I guess, um, move towards uh, ones that we might not have fixed in the past to fix now. Uh, but I still think it's important to be selective. Thank you very much. And in terms of the aims of treatment uh, with calcaneal fractures, you, you've mentioned correcting various valgus alignment. Is, is there anything else that we should be doing? So you're looking for a shoeable foot, that's the first thing. Um, uh, trying to normalize the, the position of the tuberosity, be it that you have various valgus and your height, and also to, uh, um, to improve on the articular uh, fracture. Although, in truth, I do feel that even those that you normalize the articular surface uh, with fixation uh, can still go down the line of uh, having arthritic change. And in terms of how we fix these, these fractures, do you have a preferred method, plates, screws, arthrodesis? Yeah, so, uh, so I will, uh, if there is a significant comminution um, or significant shortening of the tuberosity, I will tend to use a, a plate construct and percutaneous screws uh, to hold the, the, the heel out of varus and get column lengths. Um, for those that are less comminuted, I will use percutaneous screws, um, but it, I will, it will be directed more on the uh, patient select, uh, selection. I very rarely do a primary fusion for these type of injuries. Um, for the salvage cases, I will put screws across the joint, but not in a fusion uh, circumstance where it might need graft. I don't like putting what is dead bone into a, an area that you're trying to get to heal. I'd rather come back and do that to the second stage. Thank you very much. 
Let's move on to talking a bit about ankle fractures, and you've delivered a really engaging um, keynote speech about the management of ankle fractures. My first question for you in terms of ankle fractures is how should we assess ankle fractures um, in general, and specifically if there is a posterior malleolar injury? So, so first of all, you look into uh, to note whether an ankle is stable. So uh, it is, well, it's post guidelines, but uh, we will generally in our clinic do a, a weight bearing view on a, on one that we don't, uh, we haven't as yet know if it's stable. And if on that weight bearing view the ankle mortis normalizes, we will tend to treat that uh, without an operation in a functional boot and allow them to weight bear on it. Um, if, however, it does move, we will treat that as an unstable fracture and discuss the options of surgery with the patient. Uh, in regards to the posterior malleolar fracture, if it's in, even in a stable ankle, if they have a posterior malleolar fracture and the ankle's stable, I would still treat it in the boot. But if it's unstable, and uh, this will require fixation, and uh, I've uh, done many videos uh, regarding this on the Liverpool Foot and Ankle YouTube channel if uh, people want to. I see more. It's a fantastic channel and it really does build up you know, our knowledge base so um, that's definitely something which our listeners I'm sure are very interested in, in looking at. Um, one of the things I found really interesting about uh, the, the talk that you delivered was weight bearing views versus this gravity stress which, which I think is a thing of the or should be a thing of the past you know looking at the data which you presented. Do you mind perhaps commenting on why it is we, should, we shouldn't be doing gravity stress views in clinics? So, so, so gravity stress views are still used quite commonly, especially in America, but uh, the Guilford group uh, showed, so Anthony Sakalari and his group uh, showed that uh, if you've done gravity stress views compared to just normal weight-bearing views, uh, you were operating on 40% more uh, fractures than, uh, than not. Um, and the gravity stress view is not a normal ankle position. So if you if you weight bear an ankle, that's what you expect it to be stable or unstable in. That's what they're going to do if they walk. Um, a gravity stress view is not what they're going to do when they walk. So, um, so I feel that the weight bearing views have, have really turned the corner for us to know which one's stable and which ones are not. Thank you very much. Now, another part of your talk was on deltoid ligament injury and injuries on the medial aspect of the ankle. Should we be fixing the deltoid ligament? deep, superficial, your so, so the really unrecognized uh, and unthought about problem with the medial side is that the, the deltoid, the superficial deltoid goes from your medial malleolus to your sustentaculum and also to your navicular. It is part of your spring ligament complex. So if we are determined to get patients weight bearing early and you don't uh, fix the superficial deltoid, what happens? The feet flatten and there's some uh, increasing evidence based on this. The uh, recent meta-analysis um, and all the biomechanical studies uh, do suggest that we should be fixing the, uh, the deltoid. Uh, me personally, I do think the superficial deltoid is what I want to achieve because that will then allow for hind for stability and again to allow patients to walk. And that was something I found really interesting were, were the intraoperative images that you were showing and the, this concept of a hindfoot stability test. Um, and perhaps you could, you could expand on that slightly, you know, or more generally, how should we be screening ankles that we think that we fix intraoperatively? What should we be checking for? So, to specifically for the medial side, what you're trying to do is, uh, with, you know, classically, it was to look at your medial clear space and see if your talus was well seated. But unfortunately, that does not then uh, allow you to assess your spring ligament and your uh, complex uh, to the hind foot. So by pushing the, the, the hind foot uh, laterally, 
and what you're looking for is a sliding of your calcaneus underneath this posterior facet and how far that can go. It's very difficult to quantify that, but I use a line going down the lateral aspect of the fibula, and if that line intersects the calcaneum when you push it, uh, I personally feel that's too far. We've not proven that yet, and uh, we're looking to do some biomechanical tests on that. So that's an area for us to watch out for, some future work that, that I'm sure we'll all be keeping a keen eye out for. Um, and how about on the lateral side, so in terms of stability, so we check the medial side intraoperatively, we've, we've done our fixation, is there anything else we should be checking, rotation? Yeah, so, so syndesmosis uh, is a, uh, your fibula uh, not only uh, externally rotates, but it also posteriorly translates. So when you're checking for your syndesmotic stability, what you're looking for is both coronal stability, your sagittal stability and then internal and external rotation. Personally, I find the easiest way to do it is your internal and external rotation tests. Um, that I usually do under uh, live screening because then you can uh, get a very good uh, a picture of how much that is moving. So the hook test, that, that's out and we should be doing that. Yeah, personally, if, if you don't have a three ligament injury, the hook test will be negative. Um, and you will usually see a three ligament in injury without doing a hook test. So uh, you won't uh, specifically pick out your AITFL injury by just doing a hook test. Now I've sat in a lot of trauma meetings where we see a posterior malleolar fracture and, um, and we say, oh, we'll fix that. And, and, and that's the stability of the syndesmosis done. We don't need to supplement it with any, any additional syndesmotic fixation. Um, you were saying that's not true, so actually you can still have a... Yeah, so if you've got a, a, a injury to your anterior ligaments, so your AITFL, by fixing the posterior malleolus, you're still not going to control that. So you can still have rotational instability based on that. Okay, so we, we should still be screening and, and yeah. checking and, and stabilizing if we need to. Um, and in terms of the, the safe zones of putting in syndesmotic fixation, uh, you were mentioning that we have to go between one and three centimeters, is that right? Yeah, so your, your syndesmotic recess, the articular recess, uh, is usually between one and one and a half centimeters. And above that, your uh, perineal artery goes from uh, posterior to anterior through the perineal perforator, and that occurs somewhere between three and a half to four centimeters above the joint. So you're trying to get the sweet spot between those two areas. Your greatest strength uh, biomechanically is two centimeters from the joint. So if your syndromal fixation is between two and uh, three centimeters, that's, that's really less of uh, an ideal scenario. Um, and then screws or tight ropes, what do you recommend? So uh, the randomized controlled trials, uh, uh, there's now seven uh, currently published, uh, show that you should be using uh, tight ropes uh, where you can. Uh, but there's a number of caveats for that. Uh, number one, uh, do you have uh, your uh, fibula to length? Is it axially stable? If you don't, your uh, tightrope will not tend to uh, uh, control your axial stability. It will control rotational stability, but axial stability. Um, the, the second as aspect, if you've got a, a comminuted articular injury, um, so I tend to use a screw to have a, a stronger construct than a, a tightrope. That's great, thank you. And, and when we're putting in these devices, you were saying that the actual um, position of the, of the foot doesn't really matter whether we're dorsiflexing or... No, so there's uh, two trials on that that show that your, the position that you put the, uh, the foot in, in uh, you know, either maximal dorsiflexion or maximal plantiflexion, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't change your stiffness in relation to the ankle. 
uh, although we were all classically uh, trained to put them in with, uh, with extreme dorsiflexion. Um, thank you very much. Now, last question. Do you have any thoughts on the, on the AIM and, and, and the FAME studies? Yeah, so our, if we can treat any injury without an operation, that's the ideal scenario. So if we can achieve a stability of any joint without an operation, with a plaster, well, I thought that I'm, uh, I'd be very happy with that. Uh, it takes the burden off us as surgeons, well, it takes the burden off uh, the patients for the surgical complications can occur. Um, so in regards to that, I think they are good trials. Uh, I have my own concerns in regards to pragmatic trials and the equipoise that uh, the surgeon uh, has when they uh, choose to put the patient into the uh, trial because that truly uh, predicts what patients are going in. So, so you're not really getting the extremes in these trials, not getting the ones that definitely need surgery and not getting the ones that definitely don't need surgery. Um, but for those that you have equipoise for as a surgeon, for those that you don't know whether or not surgery would be better, then what this, these trials show is that it uh, well, what the AIM trials show, the FAME trials is obviously still ongoing, is that it, um, it uh, may not be beneficial to have surgery. Okay, thank you very much for your time. Any last top tips or tricks for, for trainees like myself? Um, yeah, so the, the thing that I tell all my trainees is to question everything everything so there's nothing more dangerous in uh, in any part of medicine that I do this because my boss did it uh, question everything uh, things change uh, practices change the um, metalwork that we have available changes uh, things that we've done in the past may not uh, work in certain patient groups so question everything and that goes from the point of why you treat patients in certain ways, why you position patients in theatre, why you drape a certain way, why you put the lights in a certain positions, why you use lamina, non-lamina, every single thing that a, a, your mentor does, question it. Because when you become a, a consultant yourself, what you want to know is, I do this because of this. And uh, my practices have changed and changed constantly uh, because of evidence that comes up and for things that I don't know and try to find out. That's great. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you very much.